Hey everybody, this is Dave Broadback. I'm coming to you live. Well, it's live right now. It's recorded for you. But coming to you uh, from what I have often called my podcast studio, which is actually uh, my daughter's bedroom, old bedroom. Anyway, uh, the lecture you're about to hear is for Psychology 3196, Human Evolutionary Psychology. Okay, so today, first of all, that's instant epic fire code. Secondly, why don't people know how to use keys? You unlock that door. So today we'll talk about, I called it social science, but I mean it's, it's, which is a lame term, um, or title at least, but I want to talk about sort of social psychology almost, to a point, um, but from the angle of evolution. So, so society and culture, really, I think the chapter of the book called Society and Culture. So this has been, people have been studying psychology, uh, you know, since about 1879, scientifically. And people have been talking about culture for a long time. Um, indeed, some of the first, well, the first experimental psychologist is Voigt, right? Wilhelm Voigt. And he had two kinds of psychology. He had the psychology that we think of with Voigt, like perception and sensation, but he also had what we call Volk psychology which is sort of about culture and society, things like that. So the tradition goes back a long, a long way in psychology. Um, studying culture across cultural psychology is a newer idea, um, partly spurred on by people saying, you're studying university students only, you maybe study people in cultures. It was a great uh, critique written in the early 70s it's called, uh, in a book, and it's called Even the, Wa- Even the Rats Are White. Actually, they're not usually white. They're usually white and black, but whatever. It's still a pretty good line. Pretty good line. Um, so people can study cross-cultural psychology. Things where, where I, when I can say things like, this is cross-cultural, that's because cross-cultural psychologists look at these things. So people have been doing this kind of stuff for a long time. Most of the time, people that have done this work have completely ignored evolutionary biology. Not always. Not always. I know, for example, Paul teaches social stuff, and I know that Paul does touch on evolution now, and he talks about the adaptive value things. So he does some things correctly. So we know that, but for the most part, for, long, for almost all its history, if there was one area that ignored evolution more than any other in psychology, it was sort of social psychology. Like I said, it's not, I wouldn't say it's the case now, but it probably for the longest time is the one where it was ignored. Not so much anymore, but... Here's a question I don't think that social psychologists ask. I'm not sure. I never took social psychology because it's for, you know, it's, it's a joke. These are jokes. I can't. But... Why be social in the first place? 
Why even be social? Why not live? Why not be solitary? So that's an evolutionary decision. Most animals aren't social. Most are solitary and come together to mate and leave. Right? So there's just an evolutionary question. Why be social in the first place? Right. When I say many species, I think if you looked at the whole animal kingdom, the majority aren't social. And there's a lot of species that we sort of think are social because we're people and we think all other species are like us. So it's like uh, people often say, you know, I've got a cat, but I want to get another cat so it has a friend. There's one social cat. It's called the lion. You don't have those as your, as your, your house for long. It won't be your house, it'll be the lion's house. You say, yes, sir, Mr. Lion. <laughs> Would you like my watch as well? Like, I mean, you, know, you don't want to have a pet lion. Cats aren't social. They don't actually need the company of other cats. Dogs are different. Dogs, sure, have a couple dogs. One thing is bad to have more than one cat, but people make the argument, I need more. You know, if I'm going to be a responsible pet owner, I should have at least two cats. No. You want two cats. Get two cats. That's great. But it's not like it's some sort of biological imperative like uh, the cats have to eat meat. Our cat's a vegan. No, your cat's going to be a dead kid. Um, they need to eat meat. Well, in the sense of predation risk, it makes sense to be social. Because there's something called the selfish herd phenomenon. If I meet a bunch of whatever the hell I am, that's E of gazelle. They live in herds. The selfish herd, so you're not living in the herd to help the group, it helps me. Because instead now, if a lion runs up and finds me, if I'm on my own, I'm dead. Unless I get up with a lion, because I have pretty good rules. However, if it comes up on a herd of 100 of us, <laughs> one in 99 chance of living. It's the old joke, right? Two guys are, a bear's attacking two guys, and one guy bends down to tie his shoe. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, I only have to be faster than you, not the bear. Yeah, the on some like animal reservations, a lot of like some of these animals are taken from as cubs, or when they're in a very young stage. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're not, yeah, yeah. Socially interact with them. Is that more of like a training or a teaching? Like what is that? You can't. They are The problem here is you're not really domesticating this animal. So it's um, just choosing to like you, right? Well, I mean, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's even if, for example, the, the thing about domesticated dogs is we have bred out the nasty bits. We have bred out the part of the dogs that will kill you except for certain breeds. It's not the breeds. It's just the way they're raised. Um, we've bred out the nasty parts. right? We've done it with cats for the most part, too. The cats have domesticated much more recently. Um, so the playfulness of a dog, when a dog plays with you, a dog's not going to typically hurt you. When a tiger plays with you, it might consider this playful, and it kills you when it swats you in the head with its claws. You die. So even if it is being pleasant, we haven't bred all that unpleasant stuff out. That's why I, the idea people have serval cats and things like that. Don't do that. Don't have wild animals as pets. They aren't pets. So eventually the instincts will kick in. 
Well, it's not even that. Yeah, you can call it that, but I mean, it's even if they are, they've completely domesticated uh, as far as they've been raised with people their whole lives and living with people. At some point, they're like, when, the way a tiger plays is by biting and. We watch two, two, two big cats play. That's they play just way like like, like little, little cats, yeah. except they're much more powerful, mm-hmm. right? So it's that kind of thing. I mean, you could like or a bear. What if the bear gets pissed off? You got an eight hundred pound bear in your house. Well, it's going to kill you, right? Um, we haven't bred out those nasty things in bears because we don't need bear companion animals because they're too big. Make miniature bears, maybe. I'm looking. I want science to start working in general on the miniature elephant, so we can all have elephants about that size, size of maybe a collie or a hippo. Yeah. Yep. Are you saying that if you could ride a bear to school, you would? Yes. Totally. Why not? So then you do want a bear. I want a bear. No, I don't really. I'm not bear. I really want. I want an elephant more than anything. I prefer a There's a of Vladimir Putin riding a bear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. How much going to cost for a giraffe to feed them? This is just going down. That's why you want to make the versions of all of these animals. Yes, that is like Spy Kids 2. Well, I don't know what that movie's about, except the Spy is watch it. Why would I watch Spy Kids 2? It has like an all star time. What are you writing the PR for them? So, when there's risk of predation, makes sense to be social. Um, if food is patchily distributed and the patches are pretty big, why is this the case? Uh, because if we're going from place to place, we can go as a group, right? And there's more. There's 30 sets of eyes looking for the next patch of food. Not one set of eyes. Okay? And in our history, um, food was patchily distributed, for sure, in Africa. And the food patches were pretty big. So things like a, a grove of trees of a certain type that we that had edible fruit plants. Or a herd of animals, so the food is pretty passionate. So it makes some sense there too for us. So that even makes sense for the predators that live in groups, like mm-hmm. wolves, lions, lions, yeah, lions, <laughs> uh, because then, like, their food will also live in herds. Probably. I mean, <coughs> this is some general ideas. It's not always going to hit. Because like, work out, but yeah. Yeah, because like, why would a lion live in groups, but a tiger would not? Lions live on an open plain. Tigers live in jungles. Oh, that makes right? sense. Yeah. And jungles, food isn't really patchily distributed in jungles. Well, it's kind of. It's like a big buffet. Oh yeah, food, that's no, there's food fine. everywhere. The whole jungle is just a big restaurant. Right? Are they the, no, the, the apex predator in the jungle? Uh, yeah, I think it would be. It where they exist, and it's not a lot of places left. You know. What about like orcas? Orcas live in like pods. Yeah, but do. like, aren't there solitary big I, fish? That, that, I, no. that I don't know the answer to. Oh. No. And like I said, these are general reasons why you might, right? It isn't always going to follow. So the benefits of being social must outweigh the costs of being social. 
So if there's little predation, there may be little pressure to hang out in groups. Or if you encounter very small patches of food where you're all just going to fight over that little piece of food, it now becomes the case that the cost level of So like everything, we always have to look at the costs and benefits of this. Um, and we're a social ape like most apes are. Oops. Our closest living relatives, the chimps, they live in groups. And so do bonobos, our other closest living relatives. They live in groups as well. So the idea that, like, we didn't evolve sociality separately. That, that When us and the chimps, when our line and the chimp line split off five million years ago, they were already social, almost certainly. Because chimps, bonobos, and humans all developed social systems. <coughs> bonobos are interesting because they're the only animals other than humans that clearly have sex for fun. They're really interesting animals. They're the only other ape that has face-to-face -face sex. They're the only other ape that has oral sex. They're really interesting animals. It's sort of how they greet each other. It's like they have sex. Two of them meet up. It's like, well, nice to meet you. The, old bonobo, the bonobo handshake is something different. <laughs> The bonobo handshake. That's a good name for a band, actually. Because oh, uh, no one would know what it would mean. I've already said it. Yeah. So. Gotta give me credit. So back in the EA, what was life like? It was short and brutish, is the first thing. But um, there would have been some predators. There's no doubt about that. We've got saber-toothed cats. We've got cats that are extinct today. Uh, so we got things that can between us, right? How do we survive? We survive by, by being smarter than these things. We, we can't fight them. We can't outrun them. We can't outrun them over very long distances, but we can't outrun them over short distances. You can't outrun a cheetah. Okay, something that can run 140 kilometers an hour? Uh, no. However, you can outrun something over very long distances because you have no fur. So you sweat a little bit, and you can run something to death. That's basically how humans hunt. No, it is. That was how humans hunted. Why do you think we don't have fur? We don't have fur because... Every other ape has fur. We don't. It's an adaptation so we can hunt things and stay cooler while it gets really hot if you're covered in fur. And the way humans almost certainly hunted most animals is they just followed them for two or three days until the thing collapsed. Oh, you're also throwing spears at it most of the time. We, hunt, we, we exhausted things. That was exhaustion hunting. So the food was patchy, but the patches were large. I, I talked about this already. Um, it might have been sensible to be social to prevent others from our species from screwing us around, basically. <clears throat> so I've got my buddies, you've got your buddies. Of course, your buddies are related to all of them. So it's that kind of idea that 
maybe there's safety in numbers because if everybody's in these sort of clans, if you want to call them that, or bands, maybe it makes some sense. So we probably almost certainly have talked about this, lived in small bands of maybe as few as 30, between 30 and 50. And you know, it's interesting, there's a lot of interesting work coming out of social networking. And one of them, one of the pieces of data is that the maximum number of friends you can have. Yes, and I know on Facebook there's a maximum of 5,000 friends. I don't think anybody here is there yet. But... Actual friends, people who you can actually know things about their personality. And the limit is what, for any person, any person, no matter what they're called, is around 50. And it's interesting that we probably lived in bands of between 30 and 50 people. Isn't that also referred to as Dunbar's number? Did you heard of that? Yeah, I believe it is. It I is think that's right. right. Yeah. You can only put 50 faces with 50 names. Yeah. It's the same, same idea. Same idea. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it makes complete evolutionary sense because I don't have to remember. That's a lot of cognitive architecture to be taking up. So, yeah. why not be optimal about it and just take up as much as you have to? And that's going to be everybody that I live with here in my roving band of uh, Homo sapiens. So, efficiency. Yeah, efficiency, or, yeah. yeah. So, it's very cool. Dunbar's done, number. And in that group, there were varying degrees of relatedness. So we're talking about cousins, half-sisters, half-brothers, uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters, nephews. I could go on. I'm not going to name every possible relationship. (coughs) But in a group of, say, 30 people, between 30 and 50 people, Nobody's any further than second cousin. There's no way. There's just no way. I don't see how it's possible. Right? So, with these groups, was there a lot of inbreeding? Yeah, oh. sure. But I mean, most of it is between cousins, and remember, we oh, yeah, first figured cousins. out that in fact, first cousins are falling. Uh, it's, it's actually ideal. It's ideal as far as uh, having the right number of genes you share, but not having the negative parts of recessive genes. So what happens when they exceed 50 members? They can't. It just won't work that way because what would happen would be like, people they kill die. Them off or no, people die. Think but about like, this. This is the EDA, man. you got to think about yeah. this. No, I know. But would it be like Excel because we can't support you? No, uh, that I doubt that would happen. I think it's more likely that it would never it would be almost impossible to exceed between 30 and 50. And that's because life is short and brutish. You know, no, yeah, maybe no. 30. I mean, there's no way. You can't take care of extra... Like, the next thing about humans, again, we have litter sizes of ones we talked about the other day. Um, you can really only have... Uh, lactation makes pregnancy way more difficult. In fact, it kind of uh, prevents not the right word. But it makes it... Women don't ovulate when they're lactating. They can. It's not a birth control method. Not out there. But they typically don't want to be lactic. So once they're taking care of a baby, and that might be for up to a couple of years, they can't have any more kids. So you get all that put together. Um, plus the fact that, you know, 
disease, parasites, uh, saber-toothed tigers, other roving bands of humans. So I don't see how you're ever going to get above that. Same thing happens with chimps. Chimps don't, you, you don't get groups of chimps more than 20 or 30. And they're all related. They're all cousins. Yeah. See, we have, you got to remember that you're moving around. See, here, now, we always think, well, it's going to grow. Because there's resources, and we can we plant food, and we can it didn't work that like that back then. We hadn't discovered agriculture yet. As soon as agriculture was discovered about ten thousand years ago, now we got towns. People could stay in the same place. Uh, populations grow dramatically. Okay? They don't grow dramatically among people who are hunter gatherers still to this day. And there are hunter gatherer tribes. Uh, peoples like the oh god, Sentinelese who live on an island, a sentinel island, uh, off the shore uh, in the Indian Ocean. And they don't want anybody interacting with them. And people have tried, and they just didn't get arrows shot at them. So it's like, no, okay, you guys are fine. I've talked about them before. And best we can tell, there's not, a, like, you know, they've been there forever. They haven't out... And they're hunter-gatherers. They're, they're certainly not farmers, if you look at you fly over and take a look. Like there's, no, there's no plots of land that have been farmed. So it's the case that you know, they, their population really doesn't grow. It takes a long time for a population to grow of hunter-gatherer people. It's a good question. A really good question. <coughs> so this is how hunter-gatherers tend to live today when we look at these folks. Right? They look at the... There are peoples in the Amazon that have had very little contact with humans. Um, oh, gee, it was in 2010? 2011, where a new set of people was discovered in the Amazon. And this was a, a flyover, so an airplane flew by, and I, there's these wonderful pictures of these guys screaming at these airplanes, one wearing a really frightening-looking mask with a spear. Right. They've obviously never seen a plane before. Or if they've seen a plane, they've driven it off by scaring it. No, that's in their mind. That's fine. Um, nobody's had contact with these people. None. Did you see the documentary on Netflix called First Contact? And it was they, they were contacting an Amazon tribe. Oh, and really? at first, like a lot of them, half the tribe came with them to sure. join the modern world. And then a lot of them stayed behind. Sure. But there was like a huge divide in the in the tribe. It's the, the 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 problem is you know in the Amazon, it's basically a great big restaurant. There's food everywhere. The problem is that you know you, you care about diseases and things like that. But do those? Do we have any right to do that? That it really and the I know the UN is has has the, 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 there's a, a convention that says you don't. You don't interact with them. Like I said, I know after the um, tsunami in 2005 oh, yeah. that at the Sentinel Island, the people tried to give those people aid because they needed hurt them. Um, all they got, because they couldn't get any closer, they started chucking arrows at them. 
Uh, they did drop some clothes and things like that, some relief supplies. And it's interesting seeing people who don't want to ever interact with anybody else, but they might be wearing a shirt that says Chicago Bulls. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, even though they really don't interact with anybody else. So it's kind of fascinating. Um, so when you look at people that live as a hunter-gatherer lifestyle, today this is how they live. And they tend to be more social, in other words, nicer to people who are more related to them. So we know that when you, in tribes, uh, in peoples that have been studied, um, the Alamori uh, in the Amazon, uh, for example, they studied like crazy. And they have kept the, this, this uh, lifestyle. Dave, yep. How did these people uh, survive colonization? Is it just most of them did isolated? Yeah. Well, yeah. Although these tribes. Oh yeah. Mo- yeah. Mo- they, it's just so isolated that no one gets them. No one's literally no one's discovered them. No one knew where they were. Yeah. 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 For those of you listening at home, discovered was in air quotes. Because what happens to most indigenous peoples when they get, they run into the people who from somewhere else that are colonized them? They get really screwed badly. Even if it's not on purpose. But it was, even when it's not on purpose, you show up and you got smallpox. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't usually turn out well. It doesn't usually turn out well. So, we associate more with people who are closely related to us. We call that a family. And you say, well, of course we do, because that's our family. Yeah, I know, I know. But, but I'm not saying that kinship causes families or families cause kinship. I'm saying that we live in these groups that are closely related to us. Right? And that's we, we, that we know. That's a thing. We tend to cooperate more with people the more related we are to them. And that shouldn't surprise anybody. I said the other day, if my daughter called me and said she needed money, I'd say, when do you want? One of you guys said, I like most of you people. There's a few notable exceptions that I really, really don't like. But now you're all wondering, is it you? It is you. So just, But I'm not going to give any of you guys any money. Five bucks. You need five bucks. You know what? I don't even have. I don't carry cash. You got tap? Yeah, of course. <laughs> but I'm not going to give anybody money. And you, most of you guys are roughly the same age as my daughter. <coughs> but I'm not giving you anything. Talk to your own damn parents. In fact, that's what I would say, right? I would say, why don't you ask your mom or dad? I don't want to pay your tuition. Who the hell am I? Why are you asking me? That's weird. It's inappropriate. All of you are now getting offended by a weird. <laughs> my daughter asked, I just did it to her. I remember when I was in grad school, I called my brother. I said, Dan, I need $1,000. You'll get it tomorrow. We'll get it back tomorrow, but I need $1,000. I don't get paid till tomorrow, and I have to pay. The first and last months of rent of our money in place. And he said, okay. I'll go to the bank and transfer. There's no problem. 
I said, I'm good for it. He said, yeah, yeah, I don't care. Because my brother was working, and I was in grad school and had no money. I didn't ask that of anybody in my lab. I didn't go up to my, my, uh, my friend Pam and say, Pam, that was wrong. She'd tell me, why don't you ask your brother? Right? So we know this is true. Right? This, and this can be measured in, in, in lab studies. It can be hypothetical kind of scenarios. Like I just said, you know, like the idea of thinking about would you, would you, ask, would you ask me for money or you'd ask your parents? Now, we can then look at the dark side of this, which is we're going to be meaner to people who are less closely related to us. Now, the first thing to keep in mind is most homicides... Oh, good, I already went to murder. Most homicides are between people who are related to each other. But they're more likely to be related... You're more likely to fight with your... to, to kill your brother-in-law than your brother. Uh, and by the way, I'm mentioning brothers and brothers-in-law because most murders are done by men and most victims are men. Because men are idiots. I know how we can solve this. How about a fight to the death? That was my ringtone, I think I mentioned. I think it's, 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 it's good. And we know this for sure. Daly and Wilson looked at homicide records from Detroit, Michigan in the 1970s. Lots of murders there, man. Not nearly as many as there used to be. The world is getting sick. It's hard to believe this, but the world, you know the best time to ever be a human being is right now. It is the safest time to ever be a person. It's the richest time to ever be a person. It's the least disease. People are living longer. The major nation states are at war with each other. Uh... Childhood diseases get wiped out. No, it's the safest time ever. They don't feel like that because everything is on YouTube. Every time anything bad happens, people have their phones out going, I'm going to make a lot of money when I put ads on this. But Daly and Wilson uh, looked at kinship aggression homicide in Detroit, Michigan in the 1970s, and there's a clear line between relatedness and likelihood of killing somebody. But yeah, most murders are between people who know each other. And very often related, but very often they're related by marriage, not by not genetically. Much more often than you actually kill your own brother or sister. And again, usually it's brother because men are idiots. Okay, what are the proximate mechanisms? How in the hell am I going to tell how related I am to someone? Ideas? Physical appearance. Of what? Um, the face. Sure. What part? Uh, nose, eyes. Okay. Yeah. Earlobes. Yeah, earlobes. I could do that. There are possibilities here. Um, one of them is you grew up around somebody, so it must be family. So it's an imprinting explanation. Just like how, you know, like little ducklings and, and geese and that, they, they, they learn who their mom is because the first thing that moves after they hatch, they follow her. And that's their mom. And like Conrad Lawrence's boots, but it's their mom. 
there's a whole idea called the green beard phenomenon. The green beard phenomenon it works like this. There is a gene, let's pretend. Let's take a flight of fancy, shall we? A, green, a, a, a gene that makes people grow green beards. Okay? And that gene also builds a detection mechanism. So that gene can detect itself. So now I can detect when someone shares my gene for green beards, and I'm going to be nicer to them. And while it seems kind of crazy that a gene could code both for a physical attribute and some mechanism, those of you guys who took animal behavior know about the crossbreeding of crickets, right? That in and, and, and the uh, hybrids preferred the hybrid song, and the males made the song, and the females preferred the hybrid song, so that there's a detection mechanism built into the female. So that, that can happen. It's not ridiculous. This, by the way, these would never be conscious decisions we would make. So even if it was, there was a green beard gene, which there isn't. Even if there were a green beard gene, we wouldn't even notice that that was happening. So yeah, it could be things that shape face or nose or earlobes or whatever. What about the Yeah, that's another another possibility. The thing is, yeah, you could do it with that with the MHC because you'd have to detect similarity rather than difference, which is what we like for being attracted to other. Right? What about pheromones? Or not pheromones? <laughs> the smell. Like you know that they yeah, smell that's, like. Yeah, but that's the MHC. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So you can do it with uh, you can do it with smell, you can do it with proximity, growing up around someone. We talked the other day about people living up in the woods. Right? Um, so it's certainly possible. It's not ridiculous to think that it, it would be something that humans can do, because other animals do it all the time. We've talked a lot in this class about reciprocal altruism. You scratch my back, I scratch yours, or you do something for me, I'll do something nice for you. But if you're mean to me, I'll be mean back, and I'll never interact with you. We're more likely to help in general if we'll get help in return. Think about this. How many times, you know, I know you guys, students, say, why do you live on your own? And you ask a friend to help you move. The assumption there is that you will help friend move some other time. Also, that friend will provide, perhaps, liquor and pizza. <laughs> the cost is low. The lower the cost, the more likely you are to help somebody. And the payoff is good. probably more likely to engage in this if we are more related to somebody. There actually are data, going back to you guys mentioned uh, smelling, there are data on people recognizing friends 
or sorry, people, yeah, people's blood types being the same as their friend, and somehow we can recognize that. And that, that data comes from Anne's story. Uh, do you have more numbers that Psychologist there. I have a quick, funny Anne story check. Story. story story. I was visiting St. John's giving a talk, and I was staying at Anne's place for her husband, who's also a psychologist there. And Anne and I went out because it was an iceberg. We went out to go get some iceberg because it's what you do. You wade out into the water and you take some of the iceberg off and you put it in your uh, cooler and then you put it in your gin and tonic. So we, we, we had to cut through a bunch of people's backyards. I don't, I don't know this, but in Newfoundland, a lot of times people like build houses behind houses behind houses. It's a thing. I don't want. So we're cutting and answers, what do we do if someone stops us? I said, and we're scientists from the university. That's what we say. And this place was really close. And um, so we only had to go out like onto somebody's dock. And then we got into the water, pulled up our pant legs, and chopped off some ice, put it in the cooler. And this guy's looking out. Like, what are these people doing? And then I, I, I said, she's like, what do you do? What do you do? I said, just follow my lead. And I very loudly said, as you can see, this is the classic K7 formation of an expert. And we've been looking for one of these for how long, Ann? And she's like, uh, years! <laughs> so we're, we're laughing like we're taking samples, and then we put it in a cooler, and we went back to her place in the gin and tonic, and we put an iceberg in it. Which was pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all about confidence. It's like crashing a party. You just got to act like you belong there. You walk in and you say, well, you walk into a wedding party. You ever crash a wedding? Anybody ever crash a wedding? So you just walk in, and all you have to do is act like you belong there. Well, who are you with? Oh, I said, hey, you just mumble. And we'll keep walking. Just, I haven't seen you since you were a baby. Yeah. And then you go up to the bar, and you, if it's an open bar, if it's not an open bar, you guys will leave. <laughs> but if it's an open bar, you walk up and have like six gin and tonics in a beer. What do you want? <laughs> Oh yeah, it's fun. I've done it only. I've only. Well, I've done it more than once. Um, more than once. Things my father taught me. Public helping. Public helping. This is going out in the world and doing things. This isn't like I'll give you a. You scratch my back, I scratch more yours. This is like public helping is all. All of the things being equal is more likely. So, helping someone who has something bad happened. The thing is, we have to keep in mind that it's not always public helping. The singular hero effect is an important thing. You know, like this, right? That people are more likely in extreme situations to help out if there's nobody else around. You did? Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. It's an amazing thing, right? Because people will all stand around and not too much. Whereas there was a great case when I was living in Toronto in grad school where people, a mother and her toddler son were being mugged. Nobody's going to hit the toddler. I hope hit the toddler kid. But she was being robbed. And it's pretty clear she was being robbed. Uh, it's not like this was made up because, you know, all her stuff was taken. Okay, so like her wallet was gone. Her was gone. And she said, yeah, and some guy stopped at the corner got out of his car, beat the hell out of the guy, and drove off, and I got all my stuff, because he... And they kept, uh, for, for two weeks on the news, if, would this person come forward? We're going to give him a medal. Now, uh, it was Batman, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> or it was um, 
Aiden Pierce from the first Watch Dogs game, which I just finished a playthrough of again yesterday. So that does happen. So we can't say it's always the public helping because you get some sort of adulation from the crowd. So we favor our own group, no matter what that group is, over other groups. And this is something, again, that I'm sure you know about in group bias or group bias. Um, and this happens no matter, and we, even when you know about it, you know about this. You've all taken classes in the psychology. You're well aware that there's bias. By the way, one of my, my least favorite things is when people say, you're so biased. No, you're biased. Those same people say supposed to instead of supposed to. And used to instead of used to. I hate them. But hate's a little strong. Loathe. Um, <laughs> see, the thing is, we get an bias to a ridiculous point. My dad had the theory, and if he were here in the live today, he would defend this. That Montreal Canadiens fans vote liberal, and, and Toronto fans are all conservatives. Also, uh, all Toronto fans were against official bilingualism and probably anti-Semitic. And Montreal fans were all the good things. I remember my dad literally yelling at the TV, take that, conservatives. And when Montreal scored up in Toronto, I went, I don't think it really works like that, Dad. He said, you're damn right it does. I said, did you know that Toronto voted overwhelmingly? Shut up, David. So, I was a kid. I was, and he, he, he didn't yell, shut up. Maybe it's just jealousy. Yeah, all those family cups, right? Uh, so, the thing, the thing is, so we have this in-group bias. We do this. We do this. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that we do this. Like my dad's idea, there was insane. But we tend to think, oh, that guy likes this. I bet he'll like that too. And you ever have to, this? This happens to us all the time. When you meet somebody for the first time, and you find that you're both interested in, I don't know, let's pick something somewhat obscure. Robotics. Fair enough. You're both interested in robotics. So you meet up with somebody at a robotics meetup. Is that a thing? Probably. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so you meet up, and then you talk to him. Oh, this guy seems okay. And then he looks at you and goes, "Also, don't you hate Jews?" And you go, "Whoa, no!" He felt comfortable sharing his anti-Semitism with me because he thought I liked that. Because also, uh, I like robots. Apparently, he likes Nazi robots. But whatever, right? So that happens. The thing is, this probably helps us understand racism. That sounds like right. It probably helps us understand it because we have this. If we can look at something, we can we can look at. Just want to make sure I'm not getting ahead of myself. Yeah. So we can understand that racism exists and why it exists. without saying it's good and without apologizing for it. Right? One of the smartest things that then-candidate Senator Barack Obama did in 2008 on the last week before the election campaign was to end, and Obama had all kinds of money. And so he just bought half of his, his campaign bought a half an hour of airtime on all three major, all four major, I'm sorry, U.S. networks. And it was just a documentary about what a great guy he was. And he didn't show him once interacting with black person. 
Because everybody knew he'd be black. He's going to get the black guy. He's shown to be interacting with white people, Hispanic people, mostly white people. And it did show him being with his family and reading bedtime stories to his kids. Because now I have another thing I can look at and say, well, he maybe doesn't look like me. I don't see people doing this consciously somewhere. But he is reading stories to his kid. I read stories to my kid. We're kind of the same. <laughs> That's right, you have right? And the in-group bias actually becomes bigger when membership is more obvious. And what's an obvious group membership thing? We can see skin color, or here is language, or what God you believe in or don't believe in. Right? Could this also be having someone that has a disability? Probably. I never thought about that. Such as, like, you can clearly see that they're missing an arm or something. I don't know. I haven't really thought about that. Um, Is that why some people are very cruel to, to people that are... I think some people are just jerks. Just jerks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there are certain things I don't know that loose any explanation for. Some, you know, kids are assholes, things like that. The li- little kids are jerks. Yeah. They don't know it, by the way. So that, but they, so that little no, a little kid will stare at somebody who's disabled, and mummy will say, "Stop that!" They don't know they're being inappropriate. But is that being group bias, or is that just them just being inappropriate? I, mean, I don't think it's anything. It's not. Yeah, I don't think it's probably. I mean, probably, I'm sure people study this. Yeah. And in fact, whenever anybody says to their mom on the bus, "Why does that man's hair so white?" and mom goes, "Shh," <laughs> and I say, yeah, "It's okay, it's fine. It doesn't bother me." Here's what's explain. What's wrong with explaining? Right? Teachable moment. So we look for badges. And we don't need no stinking badges, but nothing, nobody, one person. Thank you. And what more obvious a badge is than the color of your skin and language speaker? But if we can have another badge like reads to your kids. Right? Why am I wearing a t shirt that has a band's name on it? It's a way of identifying myself to people. Right? Do you like smiling faces too? Yes. <laughs> it's because I smell like teen spirit. <laughs> so today, race is not a very useful. Race, and I mean the color of your skin. Race is a pretty much a socially constructed bullshit thing. But let's just say skin color. That's what I'm using it as a shorthand for. It's not a very useful badge. And in fact, there's so little variation in humans that it's, it's even the idea of racism is bizarre because there's so little variation in human genetics that it's not. I think with dogs. Okay? You got dogs that are little like this, and there's dogs that are as big as me. That's not like that with people. Oh, your skin's a little darker. Oh, your eyes are a bit different shape. Right? So it's very little difference there. There was a time likely when, because you're all in a family group, 
Detecting who doesn't belong in this group, an easy way to do it would be the color of standard language you're speaking. So we can say there's a basis for it in evolution, but that's not a good thing, obviously. So while it's not a very useful badge anymore about how related I may be to somebody, people do seem to care a good deal about it, much to the detriment of humanity. And the thing is, when people are given a cue that's reliable about group membership, they'll actually start using it. So if it turns out that everyone who has a certain kind of belief has a certain a great example. Uh, swastikas aren't just for Nazis, they were used by abused by all kinds of people in drug history, blah blah blah. Yeah, I know. But you know what? When I see a swastika on something, I don't think of oh Buddhism. I don't think of, oh, yeah, I've seen that on an old uh, whatever. No, I think Nazis. Because usually it's Nazis. Isn't it flipped or something? People say that, but it's also, if you look at the... Uh, like the both ways, also in India. You know what? It's a pretty reliable cue that you're a Nazi. Yeah, people Yeah, and those aren't the nice people. It's a pretty reliable cue, but group membership, so our view about that person would change almost immediately if we have a reliable cue. But we do the same thing with clothes we wear. You can often tell what kind of music people like by the clothes they wear. Noting the t-shirt I have on. Um, whatever. So the idea here is if we can educate people that people are universal... Humanity, they were all people. Culture's great. I have no problem with there being culture. But we're more the same than we are different. Uh, and that, I, I, that's just true. We're, everybody, we're, our brains all work the same way. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, what your mother tongue is, what color your hair is, the shape of your eyes, what God you worship, or what if you don't do that at all. Everybody's cognitive systems work the same freaking way. So if we can realize that, and we can actually teach that in schools, right? Instead of saying... And like, it's true that having... Sensitivity training actually doesn't work, right? That's pretty simple. Workplaces. Everybody hold hands. It doesn't work. What works is if you do that again, you're fired. That works really well. But teaching little kids that people are all roughly the same would be a pretty great thing for us to do. That there's a universal human. We're one species, right? We started the whole course, well, we started this, I'm sorry. No, I guess I said the whole course out, that's true. With a discussion of how using culture as an explanation for behavioral things is a bit of folly. Um, and that's not saying the social world doesn't 
affect our behavior and our cognition, but what it's saying is, would you accept that there's a reasonable, a reasonable definition of culture is the way a group of people behave and think? Is that a sensible definition of culture? Because if it's not, tell me. Would you throw anything else in there? It's okay, right? So you're saying people behave and think a way because they behave and think a way. Oh, I see. It's circular. It's not a very good explanation of anything. It's a description. It's great. But I know there's an explanation. Right? It's the nominal fallacy. It's because you think because you name something, you explain it. Right? It's like when someone says, why are women paid less money than men for the same job? And you say sexism. You say, no, that's not an explanation. You just gave it a name. You might have called it Steve. Why are women paid less than men? Well, Steve. Oh, okay. Well, you explained it. Why not look at the mechanisms of how that works? Right? And try to fix it. Now, the so- I'm not saying the social world doesn't influence us. That'd be insane. We're an exceedingly social species. Can we reconcile the sort of standard social science model and evolutionary psychology? Because it sounds like those would be irreconcilable, doesn't it? And, of course. In fact, one of the things I've been hoping, I hope I've done in this course a bit is I haven't had an orange pop in a long time. There's a lot of sugar in it. Um, <laughs> wow, that was sweet. Uh, I'm playing. I hope I've been trying to do. I've been trying to do this to, to put the two together. Um, it's interesting when you think about it. Evolutionary psychology is an explanation of how society has influenced us over evolutionary time. Because that's part of our environment that's doing selecting. Think about it. we 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 uh, domesticate animals, and we suddenly and, and within about five thousand years ago, um, a mutation shows up, and some people are able to metabolize lactose. Right? Pretty cool. And that's going to be selected for because you can now drink milk, eat cheese, butter. So you get extra food out of that thing that's living in the back. You don't just kill it and eat it. You can get milk from it. So in fact, I would never deny there are cultural differences. That would be insane. It would be stupid. And I, I would call myself an evolutionary psychologist that I... You don't just deny things that aren't there, that are there. Well, that's not true. Well, yeah, but it is true, and so why would I say it's not there? Um, I don't play them up, and I don't find them. I don't find them as interesting as saying how much we're all the same, because of the fact that we're one species. I like to think of the similarities between peoples, but I'm not saying that there are differences. So I don't play them up. doesn't see that, those differences, as, a, as an end, as a, an explanation of anything. It sees them as the result of interactions between the environment and the individual. Right? Genotype, uh, sorry, uh, a gene-environment interaction. So, we can think of ideas of attractiveness between cultures. So between cultures, there are differences in what 
let's say, how much someone weighs and they find that attractive. Some cultures find heavier people more attractive. Some people cultures find thinner people more attractive. But no cultures don't like a waist-to-hip ratio in women of 0.7. That's what everybody likes. We can even look at how that's changed over time in our own society in the last 50 years. It's easy to do. Anyone wonder, how do you do that? You do that by looking at the measurements of Playboy centerfolds. People have done that. And you can look at both. Uh, they're getting thinner, except the waist-to-hip ratio is always 0.7. And you can look at the shoulder-to-waist ratio in men. So 1.2 that women find most attractive. And that doesn't change. So that's the first thing. There's also contrast effects that show up as a matter of the culture. So if I show you a picture of someone who's super attractive, and then ask you to rate the attractiveness of someone else who's less attractive, who had me do this and do the fancy to rate their attractiveness, the contrast effect then says that what will happen is if you've not seen the picture of someone who's super attractive first, you will find the next person more attractive. If, on the other hand, you see a picture of someone who is amazing, beautiful, or handsome, or whatever word you want to use, and then you see a picture of average Joe, or Jane, or whatever other name you want to use, you will find that person less attractive. That happens cross-culturally, but what, as far as like body sh- uh, mass, okay, that varies culture to culture. So that's kind of neat, because it's showing that the attractiveness thing is universal, and then that different cultures value different things, but there are certain things that they all, they all value, and they all, it works the same way across culture, too. That's neat. So what's the domain of evolutionary psychology? Um, we can really only look at stuff and explain it if it's about fitness. So, excuse me, reproductive success. Yeah, it's exceedingly sweet. There's probably stuff that has no fitness effect or such a small amount it doesn't matter. A lot of fashion things probably have no fitness effect whatsoever. Colors of people's clothes probably have no fitness effect at all. Or it's so small that it doesn't matter. I know how the hot new color is chosen every year. Because a buddy of mine used to do it when he worked as an associate editor in Vogue. He told me one year, my friend Gary says to me, you know what, nothing the hot color is here, purple. And I said, how do you know it? He said, because I picked it. And I said, is that, you just do that, you sit in New York, and it's part of my job. And then suddenly you see people wearing purple everywhere. Well, that was weird. Why does Gary get that kind of power? <laughs> it was great. It was like, it was really weird when he told me that. Because like, he was loud. It was Christmas. You know, everybody goes home at Christmas time. And we all got together, and we're all doing different jobs. And we all got together one night because a bunch of us were in town back in London. And like, he's like, it's going to be purple. And then, you know, you walk by the newsstand the next couple days later and say, you know, hot new colors are purple. What? 
It's like when magazines have the, the, the ten whatevers list of things. It's just a couple of guys in a room making stuff up. No one's done any research. But see, so Gary did that. I don't know that that affected anybody's fitness. That wasn't an organic thing that happened. It was just Gary likes purple. Right? So I don't think a psychologist would study why the hot new colors end. Because I know the answer, and it's my buddy Gary. Not anymore. He's retired. He made a great deal of money in New York. I think he's retired. He shows pictures of his house on Facebook and his, his husband, the two of them, in Palm Springs. And it's just gorgeous. And I don't think they do anything all day. So that sounds like they're retired. Bastard. <laughs> so he's pretty happy, so good, good on him. Now, there are stuff that is such universal, but seems on the surface to have no fitness effect. I mean... So those cultural universals are almost universals. When you do childcare, more than that. That's everywhere. Even, it's completely now, everybody's like, men should be involved, blah, blah. Of course they should be. You're encouraged. Society encourages you when you're a guy. Right? Like, when you're a guy who says, no, I'm not going to be there when my baby's born, it'll make me feel it's gross. Your thought of it, by the way, is not pretty. Um, it's cool as hell, but it's pretty gross. Um, you're encouraged to go. Oh, that's it. Push it, and that's good. You should be there. Um, your involvement in making the baby took about 45 seconds, so maybe to have something to do with it, you know, just saying. But... That plays no fitness effect. The fact that women do more than men. <laughs> Maybe it does. I don't know. But it is universal. It is universal. My favorite example of this, though, is something that looks like it, that is, that is universal and has no fitness effects. I can argue that women doing more childcare makes some sense because women aren't as aggressive as men. And women do have the equipment to actually feed children from their own bodies, which is pretty neat. They can't do that. So I can make that argument that if a man did it, he wouldn't be as good at it, on average. I don't think I'd buy that, but I can make the argument. Why is there music? And I talked about this at the beginning of the term, right? Music's weird. Every society has music, and it doesn't seem to have any fitness value. Now, it may be that being in a band gets you, gets you more girls. It's a joke. No one ever likes the bass player. Maybe just women didn't like me. I mean, it could be that. Probably that. No, let's say it's a cultural universal that women hate me. And, uh, no, music's weird, right? Like, it's the idea, I think Steve Pinker's talked about this, and I've talked about this before, the idea of being auditory cheesecake. It hits all the right places for things that humans like. It's patterns, right? It's all this stuff that we like, that we've evolved to like. It's like we haven't evolved to like cheesecake, but cheesecake has two of our most favorite things, fat and sugar. So we like cheesecake. So we get auditory cheesecake. If someone could figure out the, the evolutionary uh, angle of music, that'd be great. 
Okay, good. I, my, my, I'm just talking, my, my wife texts me. I say, okay, good, no class. I always say when she texts me that it's my daughter, my son. That's why I'm always looking at my phone. Just let me know. Sure. I'm not, I'm not like just sitting here look, looking at Facebook or paying bills. But I get a lot of notifications. Oh, your American Express card, blah, blah, blah. BBC News breaking news. It always starts with President Trump. But I go, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. I'm so afraid. I'm not really, actually. So a lot of people say that, that, that evolutionary psychology is pessimistic. It's pessimistic. Oh, you're saying people can't change. Well, actually, it says that people evolved from an ape-like creature. Yeah, I think it says we change. Uh, first of all, typical for a long period of time. But it explains racism and violence and all this stuff. It's like, so you're saying that's good? No, I said it, it's, it's natural, so it must be good, right? No, I didn't say natural was good. Shut up. I said it, I, I understand why it exists. It's, an, it's the ultimate environmental theory. This is the thing that always gets me. People say, and I hear this criticism from people, they say, well, it just says everything's genetic. I say, yeah, selected by the environment. It's the ultimate in environmental theories. So we can get new understanding of things, like things like education we talked about today, about how we can maybe change people's attitudes, and, uh, and homicide and racism, and understand them so we can stop them, the bad ones. Education is good. We should stop it. Let's understand education so we can stop it right now. I've had enough of this education. Now that I've got all of it, you can't have any. So I don't think it's a pessimistic view. I think, in fact, it's the ultimate... It's a very optimistic view of, 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 of humans. It's the view that... We know where we come from. We know why we do things. And if we can figure out the deep-seated evolutionary reasons that we do things, we can perhaps change them. We are the only species that, will be able, that is able to take hold of these things and understand them and actually affect our own evolution or say, this is why this happens. Let's say something like racism is, is, comes out of... Uh, people using skin color as a badge. So why not teach people when they're young that it's not a reliable badge of where you come from? You know, in, in a thousand years, we're all going to be beige colored with somewhat almond-shaped eyes anyway. Because we'll all have interbred so much that it won't matter. It'd be kind of cool with it. We'll all speak the same language. I don't know what it'll be. Uh, Klingon, all right. <laughs> Hopefully the new Klingon from the new show. <laughs> That's my impression of Klingon on Star Trek. So, thank you very much. I did throw in one Klingon word in there, by the way. I don't know a lot of Klingon. It's sad that I know any, really. But before that day comes, we, we should be able to detect, to tell people where racism comes from, well, at least it shouldn't be that way. And yes, I know that the society has been, the system itself has biases in it. But if we can detect those biases, 
and teach people that there are universals and there are way more of them than there are differences. Then we can see, we can see when there are society-wide problems and systems that are set up that are racist and we can say, well, not behave like that anymore. And I think if humans can do that, no other species can do shit like that. We're amazing. All right? Questions? All right, so next time... Next time, I want to... listening to the lecture um all of the audio is available of course on itunes or whatever podcatcher you're using just search for da- uh, dr dave Brodbeck's uh, psychology lectures now going university which is the most ungainly title ever uh these are released under a sh- uh, uh, creative commons copyright share like 3.0 canada uh you can't use these for commercial purposes um you feel free to share them uh and feel free to mash them up any way you want but if you do that that means i get to do the same thing with your stuff Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, 
episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe Music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So, uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're, they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.